Thanks, Rob, for that introduction. Um, I'm, I'm thrilled on behalf of the CE board. Thank you so much for saying yes um, to have 80% of our, our needs filled for kids and youth ministry this fall. It's just absolutely amazing. And so thank you to everyone um, on behalf of the board who stepped up. You know you're getting older when you're introduced as the retired principal and part of your gear that you need to bring with your Bible and your notes is your old lady glasses. So anyway, I think we're all set. I have everything that I need. So it was a cold winter afternoon in February a few years ago. Uh, it was dreary. It was around 4.30 in the afternoon. And my colleague Kathy and I from our school uh, had been summoned to a meeting, an annual meeting for a charity organization that had funded many, many of our efforts at the school where we both worked. And it seems really important to them that we got there. They were, you know, it had been canceled once because of a storm day, and it was really important that we come to this annual meeting. So I will tell you that in the car on the way up, we're driving from St. Stephen to St. John after work, we might have been griping a little bit. We might have been complaining about why we needed to go at the end of the workday to another meeting. Um, we had just found out that we had been sort of burned by a family that we were trying to serve. We'd, we'd found some money for them at Christmas time, and, and that had gone south. It just, it wasn't a good afternoon, and we were complaining. We were fr frustrated, and suffice to say that our compassion meter, if we were, someone was measuring our compassion meter, it was rather low. You can see the thermometer up here, and if this was measuring our compassion, that day it was super low. And, and thankfully, that was just a passing minute, and we got to the meeting. But when we got to the meeting, then the embarrassment kicked in. The reason they wanted us at the meeting was because they were honoring our efforts with monetary awards for all the great work that we'd done with families. <laughs> just the kind of families that we'd spent a good hour kind of complaining about. So um, I got thinking about this idea of compassion and Jesus' example of compassion. And I realized through reading some scriptures this summer that Jesus' example of compassion is so much more. He sets the bar so high for us. And um, I know this summer series was called The Sermon on the Mount and focusing primarily on the sermon in Matthew 5 and 6 and 7, but always being one to kind of think outside the box and push the limits just a little bit. Um, I was reading uh, the Sermon on the Mount in preparation for the summer and for the sermon, and my, my attention was caught by some scripture that was at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And after Jesus gives that sermon literally on the hill, on the side of the hill, there's some miracles, and then there are some verses that we're going to look at in Matthew chapter 9, and it takes place a little bit after the Sermon on the Mount. If you're new to the Bible, um, you can find these verses, Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 to 38. It's on uh, page 1510 in the red Bibles that are tucked in under the seat in front of you. Uh, you can look it up on your phone. If you're new to the Bible, generally, it's divided into two big chunks. The Old Testament is sort of the front end of that book, and that's the story of God and the people of Israel primarily. And then the New Testament, the last chunk, is primarily the story of Jesus and his teaching 
um, and then some words from some other folks to us as the church. So we're going to be looking at the very front end of that New Testament section, chapter 9, and Matthew chapter 9, and I'm going to read it from two different versions of the Bible. The first one is from the New International Version, and it might be a familiar version to you. It goes like this, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, I generally like to compare translations of the Bible when I'm preparing any kind of Bible lesson or study or sermon. And another translation that I really appreciate is the message. And this is how the same passage reads in the message. Then Jesus made a circuit of all the towns and villages. He taught in their meeting places, reported kingdom news, and healed their diseased bodies, healed their bruised and hurt lives. When he looked out over the crowds, his heart broke. So confused and aimless they were, like sheep with no shepherd. What a huge harvest, he said to his disciples. How few workers on your knees and pray for harvest hands. So let's set, spend some time setting a little bit of the context around those verses. We've been studying this summer here the Sermon on the Mount, literally the Sermon on the Hill that Jesus gave. And that's in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew starts his book with a whole line of genealogy, um, which no doubt would be interesting to, to a few of you. And then next we read the prophecy of Jesus' birth, about his birth, um, his, the visit that his family had from the wise men, from the Magi, the family escape into Egypt. And then in chapter 3 of Matthew, things change pretty abruptly, and we get into John the Baptist, who was about the same age as Jesus. And Jesus, um, John is proclaiming Jesus and, and is actually baptized Jesus in those chapters. And in chapter 4, Jesus starts his ministry. He starts it by being tempted and tested by Satan. Then he starts to preach to the crowds and teach. He calls his disciples, which is just another word for a little inner group of friends. And then in chapter 4, verse 23, he says, Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. So remember those words, because we're going to come back to them in just a couple of minutes. Chapter 5 is the Sermon on the Mount. Chapter 6 and 7, lots of other things in the Sermon on the Mount. And that's where we've been this summer. And I would say that outside of the Lord's Prayer, uh, those verses, some of those verses in the Sermon on the Mount are probably the most quoted passages of Scripture that you'll find. So then, in chapter 7, Jesus finishes his sermon, and Matthew documents a whole group of miracles that Jesus performed. And more about those in a second as well. And at the tail end of chapter 9, we come upon those verses that we'd read. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news, and healing disease and sickness. 
So that should sound familiar. Those verses were the ones that were also very, very similar to the beginning of Jesus' ministry in chapter 4. And so traveling and seeing the crowds and seeing, having compassion on them and meeting their needs. So those verses sort of form bookends for the Sermon on the Mount and then the subsequent miracles that Jesus does. And so he, it sets off the materials in between them. And so Jesus, during the Sermon on the Mount, is that authoritative, authoritative Messiah that was prophesied. And then in chapters 8 and 9, he's the Messiah at work, demonstrating that authority through miracles. So there's three cycles of miracles that Jesus does in, in chapter um, 7 and 8, just before, or 8 and 9, just before our verses for today. And he demonstrated in that first cycle of miracles that he wasn't here to cater to the religious or the social elite, but instead he was here to heal the marginalized. And you can see if you read Matthew chapter 8 that Jesus healed a Roman centurion's servant. He healed Peter's mother-in-law. He's demonstrating here that he's not just here on earth to do miracles um, for the rich and famous. He's here for the downtrodden, the poverty-stricken. Then there's a second set of miracles, um, chapter 8 and into chapter 9. He calms the storm. He heals two fellows with demons. He heals a paralytic. And here, he's showing that he's the authority of the messianic kingdom. And, and the authority isn't mil uh, military authority or, or power, political power, but it's indeed the spiritual power to overcome Satan's strongholds. And then the third and final cycle of the miracle stories, Jesus demonstrates even more extraordinary compassion as he performs some unexpected miracles so that the dead have life, the blind have sight, and the mute have voice. So Jesus is demonstrating here at the tail end of the Sermon on the Mount and in these miracles that for us and for the crowds, that how compassion for the harassed and the helpless has to compel us to minister to the crowds with the gospel and with the kingdom of heaven. So that is a long part to set our context for those verses that we came upon in Matthew chapter 9, where it talks directly about Jesus having compassion on the crowds, literally says his heart was broken. The kind of compassion that goes way, way beyond what Kathy and I were not demonstrating in the car on the way to St. John, but the kind of compassion that breaks our hearts for the needs of the people. So the crowds continue to be the object of Jesus' ministry, whether he's preaching, like in the Sermon on the Mount, or whether he's performing miracles. And the motivating force is his compassion. The verb, have compassion, is up on the screen for you or it will be, and I'm not going to attempt to say it or pronounce it, but it means to be moved in the inward parts, which usually means that deep feeling and deep affection. And in the message, like it said, Jesus' heart was broken. And elsewhere in Matthew, three or four times, the same word describes Jesus' motivation to heal and feed the crowd and heal the blind. So verse 36 of the, of the scripture, the message, says his heart broke. Why did his heart break? He often speaks, Jesus does, in metaphors. And he uses two metaphors here to, to give us clues as to why his heart was breaking for the people. 
So the first, at the tail end of verse 36, he says the people were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. So the metaphor for sheep and shepherds would be well known in Israel's history, ranging from the sacrificial lamb on the Day of Atonement um, to the relationship that God has as shepherd for his people Israel. Um, And the the Psalms are full of that metaphor of the psalmists being utterly dependent on God as the shepherd. And prophecy would have proclaimed years before that Jesus would be the good shepherd. So Jesus is saying in these verses, having compassion on the crowd because they're like sheep without a shepherd. So I did a little research about this idea of a shepherd and sheep. And a friend of mine in Ontario is is literally a shepherd. This is Bill, and you can see him there with some of his flock. And do you see what he has in his hand? He has a special shepherd's hook, and it's long, and the hook is super narrow. And when I talked to him a little bit more about it, he said, you can't catch the average you with a regular shepherd's hook if you're chasing them. And so the narrow hook is just the right size to catch the sheep's legs so he can grab them and guide them to where they need to go and to keep them from um, harm. So Jesus says that the people in the crowds that he was preaching to were like sheep without a shepherd. They were harassed. They didn't have someone catching them and guiding them to safety and keeping them safe and telling them where they needed to go. So Jesus is that good shepherd, and, and people need him to be their shepherd and guide. The metaphor changes then from sheep and shepherd to another analogy or metaphor that folks would be familiar with. It talks about a bountiful harvest in uh, chapter 9, verse 37 and 38. And the harvest, although the metaphor has changed from sheep and needing a shepherd, the harvest is the crowd. It's the crowd within Israel that have all those tremendous needs. And again, the theme or metaphor of the harvest was very common in the Judea's culture. Um, That idea of the, the gospel being there, needing to be shared. And the harvest being so plentiful, so many needy people. But the laborers, those who would take the good news of Jesus to the people, were few. Now, I'm not a farmer now. And, but I did grow up on a farm. And so I have a bit of an understanding of how big a harvest is and how much there is, for, there is to do for a limited number of people. And so we always had this huge crop of hay that needed to be harvested. And there, were always, there was always a, a rush to, to pay more people, to get more people involved in harvesting the crops each year. And so that analogy holds true, and we can understand that huge harvest of needy people around us, and we need uh, laborers to, to bring the good news of Jesus. So while Matthew normally emphasizes a small group of disciples and emphasizes that small group around Jesus, this particular passage is directed to us. It's not just for that small group. It's not just for pastors. It's not just for paid church staff. This is for all of us to learn to up our compassion and to have mercy and can demonstrate compassion to folks who need to hear the good news of Jesus. So I'm wondering this morning, and that was the title of my sermon, what will it take 
to break your heart? What will it take to break my heart? Like that translation talked about, Jesus' heart broke for the crowds. So he's out and about, he's doing miracles. All of this came from his compassion, the kind of compassion that broke his heart over the people. His heart was breaking because they were people like sheep without a shepherd to guide them. The harvest was so plentiful and the laborers were few. So what's this mean for us right now, today? Other than a bit of an attitude adjustment for my original story, what's breaking my heart today? What's breaking your heart? Who is breaking your heart? Maybe you're someone here today who wouldn't yet consider yourself a follower of Jesus. Maybe all this is new to you and maybe a little bit, little bit weird. That's okay too. Um, and there's lots of people here who would love to chat with you about that if you were interested. But if you're already a follower of Jesus and you're here today, how can you and I demonstrate that kind of compassion that Jesus is talking about or that he modeled for us? What can we do tangibly to step out of our comfort zones and to demonstrate compassion? Compassion to the people at Rivercross Church, compassion to the people that are our neighbors, compassion to the folks in the city of St. John and beyond. What is it that we can do to grow in our compassion? And I'd, I'd just like to finish up with three things that I believe we can all do in order to grow in our compassion. First of all, we can grow in our prayer life. And it's been no secret, as Rob mentioned earlier, that this summer there have been lots of people up here asking you to pray, to pray for, uh, for harvesters because the harvest is plentiful, to pray what your role might be. And we've been celebrating earlier, you know, that there so many of those roles are filled and we're grateful. But Jesus gives us this tip in verse 38 of chapter 9. He says, therefore... Pray earnestly. The message says, get down on your knees and pray that the Lord will send more harvesters. So how's your prayer life? We can all be praying for harvest, harvesters in these times. We can all pray that we will grow in our compassion and be involved in our growing ministries here and beyond. So first of all, you can grow in your prayer life. And so can I. Secondly, we can grow in our understanding of the needs. Jesus traveled around, and that's in there on purpose. He was traveling around, and he became very aware of what everyone's needs were. And he got out there, saw firsthand that there were tremendous needs. People that were blind, people that were living in poverty, people that were living with disease, sick people. Do you know that one in five kids in New Brunswick doesn't know where supper's coming from tonight? That means that they may get supper, but they're not sure they're going to have supper tonight. That's 20% of the kids in your kids' classrooms in a couple of weeks. 20% of the kids on your kids' teams and that they play with at the park or wherever. So 20% of the kids in New Brunswick don't know where supper's coming from. There's a big need around poverty and food in, in, in our province. Um, one in five youth in our province, uh, age 16 to 22, don't, aren't in school and aren't employed. 
They need people to come alongside them and to voluntarily train them and help them and support them and help them find Jesus and help them find a path um, in their lives. I'm sure if you wanted to speak to Pastor Sandy in terms of the needs of the youth ministry or Pastor John about the needs at, at the mission, uh, there are lots of needs, but one of the ways that we can grow in our compassion, in addition to growing in our prayer life, is to grow in our understanding of the needs. Make yourself aware of what the needs are. And the third way that I would assert that we can grow in our compassion is to grow in our tangible acts of service. We can pray for harvesters, we can understand the needs, and this is the just do it part. This is the get out there and, and serve. Um, and so many of you have answered the call. Uh, be the someone. How often have you said, oh my gosh, someone needs to do something. And, and I would challenge you to be the someone who's going to do something about the needs, the needs for Jesus, the needs to feed the hungry, all of the needs that surround us. The seeds are being planted. We need harvesters with hearts that are full of compassion for the needy people. And so I'm going to end today with a prayer, and I'm going to use the words of a song that's an older song, an older chorus that we used to sing at my home church, and it's called Soften My Heart. And so I would invite you to pray. I'm going to pray for us and, and help us to... Um, you know, repeat the words of this song as, as we say it, and we're going to sing it in a few minutes, that God would soften our hearts, that we would feel with compassion and to weep with his tears, and that we would have compassion on the people around us. So what will it take to break your heart, and who will it take to break your heart? Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this place. We thank you for all of the opportunities that there are to serve. We thank you for the people of St. John and beyond. And we recognize that this is just a harvest field uh, that needs harvesters. And so we pray that we would grow in our prayer life, that we would grow in our understanding of the needs, and that we would have compassion, that our hearts would break for people, and that we would serve them and bring the good news of you to them. So, Father, soften my heart. Soften my heart from all indifference. Set us apart. To feel your compassion, to weep with your tears. Come soften our hearts, Lord. Soften our hearts. Thank you.